0: Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the College Age Movement podcast. This week we are in our second week of our series, Who Is This Man? We're looking at the uh, traits of Jesus, some of the traits of Jesus. We understand something to be true, that we want to be like Jesus, and so we figured we should probably talk about some of the things that Jesus is, things that Jesus modeled during his ministry here on earth, and things that Jesus continues to be. ways that he maybe changes culture, maybe way he changes or challenges the status quo, whatever it may be. And so this is our second week. Last week, uh, in the first week of our series, we talked about compassion, this idea of not only recognizing pain and suffering, but the desire to alleviate it. Jesus was the best model of that, and he wanted to get into the stuff with people, and he modeled that on a regular basis, that he would get into the muck and the mire, and he would pull people out, that he would fix things, that he would deal with people right where they were at. He wasn't waiting for them to clean up before he would deal with them, and we were called to be the exact same, that we'd be people who recognize pain and suffering, but we would also have this immense desire to alleviate it, to do whatever we can, to have compassion towards people. And this week, we're going to be talking about humility. It's another trait that Jesus embodied. And the first passage we're going to look at is really the personification of humility. And while Jesus did so many things that we can look to as examples, this was it. And it's found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. And it says this, "...do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself." So the first point today is this, humility found in the value of others. That fact, the fact that Jesus even had humility is astounding. Like This is God that we're talking about. He could have literally just been like, I'm annoyed with these ones. I want new ones. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe these ones out, and I'm going to start over. But instead, he became man to know us better. He saw immeasurable value in you and I. And maybe you're listening to this today and you don't feel like you're very valuable. And the world can have this tendency to make us feel like we don't have value. But I want you to hear this. Jesus sees immeasurable value in you right now. Every single day, Jesus looks at you and he sees immense value. You see, he took the nature of man so that he could serve you. He took the nature of man so he could serve me. And we have to look at that and be, be blown away, like serve us. What, what did we des- do to deserve being served? And the answer to that is nothing. And that is what grace is all about, unmerited favor. That Jesus came and did it because he loved us, because he sees immense value in us, and he continues to see that every single day. So if we are to model ourselves after Jesus, then we need to make sure that we see value in the people around us. See, too often we look at people and how we can leverage them to be valuable for us. I want to say that again. Too often we look at people and how we can leverage them to be valuable for us. One of the greatest shortcomings of humankind is our ability to turn all situations into selfish pursuits. And as followers of Jesus, we need to be the opposite of that. We're not trying to leverage people for us. We're trying to be for people. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to find out how we can, number one, point out the value in people. How can we point out the value in people? We need to make sure that they know that they're valuable, that they feel that they're valuable, that they understand, that they truly understand that they are valuable. And not just how valuable they are to us, but how valuable they are to Jesus. We want them to understand both things. We want people to know how much value that they have in our lives. But at the end of the day, we want them to know how valuable they are to Jesus, how valuable you are to Jesus, because that's where you step into a relationship with him and you get to spend eternity in paradise. You get to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. And our our job is to, is to introduce people to Jesus. Our job is for uh, for people to understand how valuable they are. And then secondly, we need to add value, not just recognize value, not just point out value, but add value to people's lives. One of the sayings around Faith Chapel, which College Age Movement is the church that we're a part of, is we want something for you, not something from you. We want something for you, not something from you. And that should be at play in not only our church lives, but our personal lives. We're not just asking for things. See, what will happen when we live in that posture is that we will all find a community of people who are serving each other extraordinarily and nobody will be in need because if I'm serving you and you're serving me, then we will find that everything that we need and everything that that we find ourselves striving for will be fulfilled because we are always constantly finding ourselves in this community that is just hell-bent on making sure that the needs of the people around us are met. And then it talks about this at the beginning of, the, of the, the passage. It says, selfish ambition and vain conceit. Selfish ambition and vain conceit are the enemies of unity. We want to be in community. We want to be a family. We have to be willing to kill those things quickly and intentionally. The second point today is this, humility found in obedience. If we are being completely honest, it takes some dying to self to be obedient when someone asks us to do something especially something that we don't want to do we feel that tug of resistance like i don't want to do do what you want me to do i want to do what i want to do and while jesus knew what had to be done in his life he probably wasn't stoked about bearing the sins of all humanity and enduring a brutif- brutally painful death but he was still obedient And I think it's important that we understand that we are called to be obedient as well. That God is probably going to call us to some hard things throughout our lives. And I hope we will be quick to obey. I hope that I will be quick to obey when God asks me to be obedient. The fact is this. If we are obedient, we will find out that God's purposes surpass our own perspective. You see, God's purposes are so much bigger and so much better than our own finite perspective. If we would say yes, we can just sit back and we can watch God work in our lives individually and collectively. And here's the thing. It's not just about what he will do in, in your own life or my own life because of our obedience. More importantly, it's what he will do in the lives of other people if we are obedient. Obedience becomes this catalyst for life change. Saying yes is often just the starting line. In my own life, the most tangible way that I've seen this is through mission trips. I've had the honor and privilege to go on eight different mission trips to three different countries. And every single time I would love to say, like, oh, I'm going to put my pride aside. I'm just going to be a humble servant. But really what happens is that, that I get in my own way and I always feel like I'm going to go and I'm going to be the, the, the fix to whatever is happening in, in the situation that I'm going to, to take part in. But that's not how it happens. Usually I I just go and and I get to help and I get to bless other people, but I'm far more blessed by the people that I get to serve than they probably are by me. And I don't think I've ever left feeling like I gave more than I received. I always feel like I've received way more. You see, I'm always changed. I'm always rocked. I'm always, my perspective is shifted. All of those things are so important. And God's purpose in sending me on those mission trips was, was to adjust me. To say, hey, like your little finite perspective of what you think life is and what you think is important, yeah, that's gonna get get messed up a little bit. I'm gonna I'm gonna shake your life up, and He has done that so many times, and I think it's really important that wherever you're at today, that you need to be looking for ways. I need to be looking for ways to say yes to what Jesus has been asking us to do, because when He does that, we start to see His grand purposes instead of our own perspective, and we always want to be people who are pursuing the purposes of God. The next scripture that we're going to look at is Ephesians chapter four, verses one through three. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord, this is Paul writing, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So the next point is this humility found in patience. Patience, undoubtedly, is this also this also this requirement that we have to like we just have to kill a lot of the things that we naturally feel, because patience isn't something many of us are born with. It is a skill that is learned, and there are going to be people and situations that you literally cannot stand. And having a heart of humility will lead to supernatural patience. You see, we were created to be in relationship. But not every single relationship is the same, and different personalities clash, and there's all these different things that happen. We need to be people who have extreme patience. That as followers of Jesus, we would never indi- indicate that we don't like someone, or that we would never say, that, oh, I don't have the patience to deal with you. That we should have the patience to deal with people and with situations, because Jesus had patience with us. And We have to understand something. As followers of Jesus, we have to understand that we are not better than anybody else. One of the biggest problems that Christians have communicated over the centuries, especially the last couple decades, is that we know better or that we are better. You see, that is just a bunch of BS, and people see that from a mile away. The only difference between a follower of Jesus and someone who doesn't follow Jesus is our recognition of our desperate need of a Savior, that we aren't trying to be the fix, that we need Jesus to to, to step in and do what he, only he can do, and we recognize that. We aren't any less messy. We aren't any less broken. Our hope is that as we follow Jesus, we'll look more like him, and, and maybe we will make less mistakes, but man... If, if anybody has ever communicated to you, I'm a Christian, so I'm perfect, man, that is a, a load of crap. And, and if you're a Christian and you've ever communicated that, you know that that's a lie, that we are just as messy and just as broken as the people around us. We just know that we are in desperate need of a savior. You see, Jesus has patience with you and I, and that means that we have incredible patience with others. There's humility in recognizing that everyone is in a different spot than you, and that is okay. They haven't arrived yet. You haven't arrived yet. I haven't arrived yet. We just get to help each other move forward towards Jesus. And that's that's all we're trying to do is we're trying to move forward towards Jesus. We're all at different speeds, but we're always going to be an encouragement to one another. Humility isn't just a New Testament concept either. It was something that God had high value in since the beginning of time. In the Old Testament, it says this in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name will... Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Humility found in prayer. Humility found in prayer. For my entire life, one of the hardest parts of my walk with Jesus has been my prayer life. A lot of people would probably say the same thing. And I think that one of the reasons that so many of us struggle with prayer is because it requires us to recognize that we cannot figure out everything on ourselves. So many of us want to be the answer, but I can confidently say that after 30 years of trying to be the answer, I am not. I am not the answer. Jesus is. So as, as we're having conversations with, with people and we're trying to say, oh, we know better. We don't know better. We don't have all the answers. We have one answer. And our answer is Jesus. Jesus. It's not this big grand thing that we figured out. It's not like we have spent so much time figuring out all the different secrets of the world or all the different answers that are pressing on the minds of the billions of people on this planet. No, we figured out one answer and it's Jesus and Jesus crucified. And that covers all kinds of questions because we can just point back to who he is and who he has called us to be. That doesn't make us smart. That just makes us aware. It just makes us solely aware of the fact that we need Jesus to be the answer that we have been seeking for so long. And maybe today you're looking for an answer. Maybe you've come to the same conclusion I have, that Jesus is the answer. You see, a humble heart speaks clearly, less of me, more of you. To people, that means their needs in front of ours. Hey, less of my needs, more of your needs. Less of my desires, more of your desires. How can I step in and put value on what it is that you want? But to Jesus, that means your will, not mine. As we speak to our creator, we need to be people who are constantly humbling ourselves before him, saying, I want what you want, Jesus. And we've heard that so many times. If you grew up in the church, oh, I want what you want, Jesus. Break my heart for what breaks yours, all these different things. But I think that there's a follow-up that needs to be said, however you want to do it. I want what you want, but Jesus, however you want to do it. You see, we we would love to think that Jesus is going to do what he wants, and he's going to do it in a way that makes us just so comfortable. But we have to be people who are willing to do it, no matter how he wants to do it. And that might be through pain. That might be through suffering. That might be through joy. That might be through success. That might be in a place that you want to be. That might be in a place that you really don't want to be. But Jesus, we want you to do what you need to do, and we want you to do it however you want to do it. We can be people who kill our pride on a daily basis by approaching Jesus and giving him everything that we have to offer. And maybe you're listening to this today and you're like, I don't have very much to offer. That's fine. Just give what you have. The little that you have to offer, offer it to Jesus and say, do with it what you want to do. However you want to use it, use it. I'm here. I'm available. We want to be people with humble hearts that put the desires of Jesus ahead of our own. There's an author by the name of C.S. Lewis. Most of you have probably heard him. And in his book, Mere Christianity, he has this, this quote that, that revolves around humility, and it says this, is says, There's one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. There's no fault which makes a man more unpopular, and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. The vice I am talking of is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. You see, we want to be people who kill pride, who kill self-conceit, that we would hold on to the virtue of humility, that we'd be people who pursue that on a regular basis. So a couple things before we go. First of all, look for pride in your own life and do whatever you can to address it. Do whatever you can to kill it. This quote indicates that it's really hard for us to see it in ourselves, but we need to look for it. But secondly, we can look for pride in those who, lives of the people whom we love. And then we can gently, and I can't stress that enough, gently and in love, point it out and help them deal with it too. And if we are willing to do that, if we are willing to look for pride in our own life, but look for pride in the lives of other people, and they're willing to do the same for us, that's how things get done. That's what this quote is all about. It's easy to recognize it in other people, and it's hard to recognize it in ourselves. So let's help each other out. A community that kills its pride will be a community who finds its purpose. Hey, thank you so much for tuning back into the College Age Movement podcast. We will be back next week with part three of Who Is This Man? If you are in Billings, we would love to see you at College Age Movement Tuesday nights, 7 o'clock. We'd love to see you in person. We love you guys. We'll talk to you soon.